with Mr. Michael Vecchioni, author of Crooked Brooklyn, as well as, was it All in the Family? Ties in the Family? In the Family? <laughs> Friends of the Friends Family. Friends of the Family, damn it. So close. Friends of the Family. And before I let you introduce yourself, for everybody listening, uh, Mr. Vecchioni has been on, shit on my keyboard, has been on this podcast before, and we talked about his book, Crooked Brooklyn, which we are actually still talking about today. There was one section of it that we didn't get to, and Mr. Vecchioni, being a genius, and me being fucking retarded, didn't think of going at the probably most interesting, but interesting in a bad way, right? In the sense that the Holocaust is interesting, and it is the body snatchers, but... Before I keep ranting and making more of an idiot of myself, how about you introduce yourself for the new listeners and then jump into the body snatchers? Well, first of all, thank you, Tom, for having me back. Of course. Um, of course. I had a great time last, um, you know, the last session, and um, I was happy to come back and, and talk to you about okay. Crooked Brooklyn again. My uh, my name is Michael Vecchione, and uh, I was the chief of the rackets division in the Brooklyn DA's office for about 13 years. Um, I left in 2013 when um, the district attorney did not win his reelection and um, the new district attorney came in, kind of cleaned house, but I got out before by retiring and um, started writing books about the things that I had done when I was in the uh, DA's office. So in fact, writing another one right now and I'm in the editing process. So I hope to uh, be able to come back and talk Absolutely. about that one when we, um, you know, when it gets out. Absolutely. I will be. And, and this will make you happy. It's um, it's an audio book. So um, in, in addition to a, to a print book, but the audio book is the the major uh, the major contract that we were able to get from um, a place called Tantor Media. Yep. They're, uh-huh. they're doing the book and um, and we got it. We were lucky. We got it just before the pandemic hit. And um, and then even luckier, if you can call it that, to have all the time about being quarantined to be able to write this book. So um, we're writing it, we're done now and we're doing the editing process. So um, hell yeah. Be talking about that with you in, uh, in a couple of months. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome because that's kind of how I looked at it. Right. It's, and I almost feel dark because it's like a, you know, it's like war profiteering, right? You know, it's like business is booming because you know, my, because my family builds tanks and we're fighting the Nazis. So I'm rich. It's, quarantine's terrible quarter million dead but man as someone that does podcasts on zoom <laughs> business is booming because everybody's oh, yeah. home yeah, so yeah. hey man, i don't think people there's have, anything people have to do something so they might as well listen to tommy's podcast exactly so well even more so it's 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 people are willing to do it that i normally can't get in touch with they're like fuck it i'm stuck at home i'll do i'll do this podcast but yeah right. you'll absolutely be on for that book but right now body snatchers which yeah. was a chapter in the book, but it just eerie, just unsettling, but like a train wreck, you can't look away. But right. I'll let you take it away. So give the people a briefing or whatever. Let's just go. It doesn't okay. Matter. Well, let me let me start at the beginning where sure. how we how we learned about this. Um, there was a um, there was a sale of a of a funeral home in Brooklyn to a company that um, that buys funeral homes and owns funeral homes in many different states. And uh, they bought one in Brooklyn. And um, and when one of the owners went to the to the funeral home to <laughs> to visit it to see, you know, what was uh, you know where the rooms were and what was going on, she wandered into a, um, a room that was not necessarily accessible to uh, unless you knew it was there and the person kind of showing her around knew it was there and the reason it was secret i call it a secret room in the book 
is because what was happening there um, was completely illegal. Um, a, a fellow by the name of Michael Mastro Marino, who was a uh, dental surgeon at one point in his life, um, got into a lot of trouble with um, drugs. He was um, addicted to Demerol, mm-hmm. and um, and he would uh, he would use the Demerol even when he was going to do dental surgery, if you could imagine. Yeah. Um, and he was able to also get some other people addicted to it as well, some people who knew, who he knew. And, and it was a terrible situation because one day he fell asleep in the middle of a dental surgery procedure because he had taken too much of the drug. Yeah. And he had been warned in the past about, about this, had, had been um, uh, had, had was on a kind of a watch list by the, this was in New Jersey when it had, where it happened. Um, and this was the kind of straw that broke the camel's back. He was, um, he lost his license and he was a prominent dental surgeon. He had written a very, uh, well-respected book textbook on dental surgery. Um, and he was, a he was a, an all American boy. He came from, he was, he was a football player at Villanova university. He was a, a guy who was well-respected in his profession. And, um, and when he lost the, uh, his license, he basically lost his livelihood. It was all that he had, had been able to do and all that he did. And the problem was that he had been living very, very high on the hog, so to speak. He had a, a mansion in, I think it was Fort Lee, New Jersey. He had a bunch of cars and he, he was just living the high life. Well, with no income now, he had to find another way to keep up his, his, um, his standard of living. So he knew because he was a dental surgeon, he knew about the idea of implants and a dental implant sometimes requires a transplant of a piece of bone into an individual's mouth. It then knits, bone knits, and it once it becomes part of the jaw, then you can put the implant into that part of the uh, into that that space and um, and and the implant works perfectly. Well, the problem is that bone from human from humans is not very accessible um he knew that it was um it was going to be a difficult thing for him to do and he started out legitimately by asking working with uh, funeral homes and and getting the funeral homes to ask people who um who were burying their loved ones if they would allow him to to harvest the bones so that he could use it for this um this implant surgery and of course he got absolutely no, um, no yes. They no, were all no's. Yeah, no takers. Not going to give you the opportunity to to take, uh, you know, to take my uh, my loved one's body apart, etc. Yeah. Industry was also important for other places other than the mouth on a, on an individual because bone can be transplanted into other parts of the body, arm, leg, etc. So um, he knew that this was lucrative, but he couldn't do it legitimately. So he came up with this plan. And the plan was to contract, if you want to call it that, with with funeral directors in New York City, Jersey, Philadelphia, upstate New York, to tip him off when a body would come in. And illegally, he would send his people to the funeral home, and he they would then cut the body open and literally steal the bone steal the tissue, steal whatever they could, 
And if the body was then going to be laid out or displayed in a wake, the, the, the cutters, as we call them, would fill the body up with whatever they could find. Um, sometimes garbage, they would eat their lunch and there would be papers around and they would stick them in there. But for the most part, they also bought at plumbing supply stores, PVC pipe. Yeah. And they filled the, um, you know, the legs or the arms, wherever they were doing it with PVC pipe and then used the garbage to, and the, and the debris from their lunch and other things to kind of make the, to fill it out so that the leg would look, um, like a normal leg or an arm would look like a normal arm. So what, and that's what that room in the Brooklyn funeral home was being used for. So the woman who bought this funeral home um, discovered that, and when when she was she went into the room, she asked one of the cutters, "What what's going on in here?" And he told told him told her what was happening. Of course, he didn't say it was illegal. He said, "You know, we have permission to to take this." And and she wondered why the body looked so um, so so decrepit. Quite frankly, I know the body was dead, but it really looked not like it was, should look if it was being embalmed. And she went over and touched the arm and the leg, and she told us that it felt like it was really squishy, like there was nothing in there. Well, there wasn't. It was, if there was something in there, it was usually it was usually this kind of debris that they had put in. Jesus Christ. Yes. So she um, she then completed the sale, but when she went over the books with her attorney, they discovered that the prior owner had sold about $300,000 worth of pre, um, pre-death uh, funerals, prepaid funerals, so that if someone died, they would then use that funeral home that had already been paid for, and then the wake and et cetera, the funeral would take place. Well, it turns out that in the sale, this the previous owner did not tell her about this 300000 which should have been in the funeral home's account for the new owner to, to take over and use, et cetera. Well, it wasn't. So she went to the police. She went into the local precinct, sat down with a detective, and told the detective about that, about the um, the, 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 the embezzlement or whatever you want to call it of this, this money. The detective, as usually happens with white collar crimes, would come into the rackets division and sit with us and help and get one of our assistant DAs to help them do this, uh, do this case. But as an aside, when my assistant DA was interviewing this, this woman, the owner of the <laughs> owner of the new owner of the funeral home, she told him as an aside, and you know what I saw? And she tells him about going into the room and touching the arm and, and hearing the squishy, seeing the, and, they, and she told him about the, uh, they were taking body parts. So do you, So my assistant's name is Josh. Josh came in to me and said, Mike, you know, I have this, this detective in my office. She's complaining about, with a, with a complainant, about having money stolen. But I got to tell you, there's another part of this case that that kind of indicates at this point that these people were stealing bone and tissue from the bodies or taking it illegally. So which part of the case do you want me to go with? Yeah. So I said, let's worry about the 300,000 another time. Let's yeah. go with this case. The body snatchers. So that ha- that's how we got off on the, um, on the investigation. And we soon discovered that uh, checking with records and things like that, that there were about a thousand or 1100 cases in Brooklyn that um, were affected by this guy, Mastro Marino and his people. So we needed, obviously, we needed more because in each of the cases, 
Tommy. They there was a, 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 a or in each of the the files of these these poor deceased in the funeral home was a, a permission slip. Yes, you can take the bone and tissue signed by um, Aunt, you know, Mary yeah. from okay the family. In addition, there was a death certificate which indicated that the person died of generally either a heart attack or a, um, a car accident or a slip and fall, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. COVID. So we immediately believe that all of that stuff was bogus. So we sent a team of detectives out into the field with the permission slips, the, the, uh, with the permission slips really, because the, the uh, death certificates we handled in another way. And we would not literally knock on the door of Tommy Carrigan's mom. Yeah. And they would say, Mrs. Carrigan, uh, did you have a death? Did your father, you know, Joe Carrigan died? Yes. Well, this is your signature on here giving permission to. So she looked at it and said, and would, and would say, no, that's not my signature. Other times it wouldn't be, let's say your mom's name. It would be, let's say Bill, Jones giving permission for to take the the Mr. Carrigan's uh, body, right? They would say we don't even have a Bill Jones in our family. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. Turns out that every one of these permission slips was a forgery, and what Master Marino did, he would also forge the death certificate. He was taking bone and tissue from people who had died of communicable diseases, HIV hepatitis oh jesus taking bone and tissue from people who were 95 years old and selling it to a processing company for implantation into let's say someone's arm or leg who needed it so you were let's say you were needed to have uh, an implant a bone implant right could you imagine receiving the arm or the femur of someone who's 95 and 96 years old it was going to last you probably never yeah you know, yeah yeah last at all yeah so that's what was happening and and what we found out as we continued to do this investigation was that if a if a if a body was uh cremated they would take everything everything they would take all of the bone every bone in the body they would take the um, every tissue that they could possibly take. So when the body went into the crema in the into the crematory, it would come out um, with as as we were told by one of the the victims' family. You know, she said, "I knew that there was something wrong with the ashes because it was like baby powder. I expected there to be a little bit of bone fragment and this and that, and there was nothing. So they would take it completely." They would take as much as they could and then put it in the, in the, um, you know, in the, in, in the oven and, and cremate the body. And it would come out, as I said, like, uh, yeah. baby. Pill. Yeah. So, um, the thing broke open when Alistair Cook, who was, uh, a, um, a, a very famous, um, British TV host, um, he'd done masterpiece theater and he hosted masterpiece theater and, and um, he was one of the people, or one of the bodies, I should say, that was cremated, but also had been ravaged by Mastro Marino's crew. And when we went to his daughter, we asked her if she had given permission. And of course she said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't give permission. My father, um, my father would never have allowed me to do that. 
Um, he wanted to be cremated, but he never would allow, you know, never would have allowed that to happen. And I certainly didn't do it. Well, we said, here's your signature on here. You say you did it. She said, that's not my signature. And I never did it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Then it hit the newspapers. Once that hit the paper that Alistair Cooks uh, was a body that was part of this whole uh, fiasco and that his daughter was, um, you know, was part of this thing. Then it blew up. The entire case blew up. And we went off and, and we had to make a decision as to how many bodies we were going to, you know, investigate. We had so many times that we had to narrow it down. So we, we chose 10 bodies in Brooklyn. And what we needed to do, the next step was to see if what we were told was happening or felt was happening was actually true. We had to exhume many of these bodies. So we had to exhume all 10. And and we had to now go back to the families after telling them that, first of all, we believe that your loved one's bones and tissue were ravaged. We now have to open up the grave and take out your loved one's body and, and, and send it to the medical examiner to see if, in fact, that's the case. And we did that. In fact, on one occasion, it was so horrible. The body was brought up from the grave and the people who had put the straps on the underneath oh, the corpse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It tilted and the body, the legs and feet came out the bottom of the of the coffin. So it was... Um, it was really a it was really a horror show. It was like a it was like a horror movie. That is some uh, horror movie shit. Yeah, it was really it was really bad. So when they got the bodies back to the medical examiner, sure enough, they took first of all they took X-rays, and um, and discovered that the PVC pipes that we had heard was uh, used to fill up the legs and arms. In fact, was there, and we have pictures in the book of the um, of the X-rays. The other thing that we saw that was really <laughs> macabre was the fact that in order for the 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 foot and, and ankle to stay on to on the PVC pipe, oh, they had to what they had to do is they had to put a bolt through <laughs> the ankle and through the PVC pipe so that the foot would stay in place so that when it was embalmed. <laughs> And when it was laid out and displayed in the coffin, it wouldn't look uh, wouldn't look bad. And those bolts, like a Frankenstein monster uh, bolt, was on is on the X-ray that we um, you know pictures of the X-ray that we have. So, so I have a I have a question. So this is already all just like yeah horror movie, just yeah I mean concentration camp level, just like macabre. But yeah, <laughs> I have to ask who were. The cutters. Who are these guys that were cogs in the machine? Who are the goons that 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 did this? That just got caught up in. I mean, at what point do you are you like bolting feet through PVC piping after putting your Happy Meal trash in the skull cavity? At what point were these guys like, is this above board? Well, it, number one, there was no specific crime okay. for that okay. in the state. There. could get the best we could get at the initial stages of the investigation was um that had to do with disposing of a body and incur- improperly disposing of a body etc there was no crime for taking bone out of a out of a out of a dead person's body even though there has to be permission 
that crime about the permission and lack of permission was really not much of a yeah. punishment if we were able to get them for that. So what we had, to, so the answer to your question is no, it was not legal for them to do it um, because of the permission aspect. Yeah. So what we had to do is we had to we had to fashion a RICO case, sort of a RICO case. The New York State has the has a law that mirrors RICO. It's called OCA, Organized Crime Control Act. And what we needed to do was to establish that there was a group that was involved in these crimes that fit, you know, as as predicate crimes in this act. And they, and they did because there were forgeries and there were things like that because they forged the the medic, the documents, they forged the, um, the uh, death certificates, etc. And we were able to now fashion a, um, uh, a crime out of. The using the OCA statute, which carried a life sentence. Okay. So we went from having a very minor thing like these, you know, kind of minor forgeries of, uh, of death certificates and, and these documents and, and, and you know, uh, disposing, improperly disposing of a body, that kind of thing, to a, um, a, a B felony, which carried a, um, or maybe it's a maybe it might be an A fail. I don't remember, but it was a, it, it carried a great many um, a lot of years. Um, I think the Oka was a B felony and carries twenty five years. I'm wrong about the life, I believe. But I, I, again, I'm not. I've been at it doing this for a long time, so yeah. I haven't really. I don't really remember. But yeah. the Oka was um, was what got us the um, you know to where we wanted to go with being able to punish. Uh, Mastro Marino and these and these two guys who were his um, his cohorts. Now you say, where did he get them from? They were yeah. people who he had come across during the course of his, you know, during the course of his um, his practice. He was a dentist for a while, so he had people who and a, and a dental surgeon, you know, so he knew people who were in this business. And and what he did was he would train others in different parts of the country. For instance, he had a whole group in Philadelphia that he was. He was using. He had a group up in Rochester, New York, that he had trained to do this. We found out also during this investigation that he had he had cut a deal with a a Jewish uh, an old uh, a Jewish old age home in Manhattan, and the deal was going to be that when someone died in that in that uh, old age home, they were going to tip him off that they would sending the body to a particular uh they would make sure that it would go to one of his the funeral homes that he had a, had a deal with and then he would use them and and take the body and and take all of the you know the the bone and tissue out of the body of course not telling anybody who was you know any relatives and more than and the reason he used this home is because there were a lot of people in there who didn't have families you know yeah. they were they were so old and they didn't have individual well, most of their family died etc the other thing we found out is that he had cut a deal with a prison in Russia. Jesus Christ. And what was going to what they were going to do was to when someone died in the prison, they were going to notify him. He had a group over in in Europe and in Russia to take the body to Germany. And he had a setup in Germany where he was going where he would do the same thing that he was doing in Brooklyn and and other places here in the United States. So um he was he was making literally making a fortune. The bone and tissue processing companies um, were paying a good deal of money 
for bone and tissue. And you can imagine why, because it's not generally available. Yeah. You know, most likely if you're going to a dentist and you're going to have an implant, they will use, you know, a pig piece of pig bone yeah. or an animal bone, not human bone. Human bone was, was rare because nobody would give permission to have it uh, removed from their loved one's body. Um, but it was preferable to having an animal bone. And, um, but the problem was that he wasn't, and he was lying also. That was the other thing we discovered. In addition to the death certificate being forged, in addition to the permission slip being forged, the, the processing companies required him to provide a vial of blood from the, from the deceased oh, yeah, yeah. so that they could test the blood and make sure that the blood had no uh, was not contaminated in any way. So of course he did have bodies that he was using. He didn't care. He was taking, as I said, HIV, hepatitis, cancer. Um, you know, you don't cancer is not contagious, but you can imagine how difficult it would be for a, a cancer-ridden bone to 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 last for a number of uh, a number of years in a, in a transplant. But. So what he was doing to get past that is he would carry around what he called clean blood. He had vials of blood that came from various sources that he knew to be clean. And he would then, um, he would keep them and he would send the vial of that clean blood along with the forged documents and the bone and tissue down to the uh, processing company. General, generally, they were in the South somewhere in Texas and Florida and places in the South. And, um, and then they would, um, they would then go ahead and process the bone and tissue and, and use it in someone's body. And when this thing hit, the FDA issued a nationwide recall for anyone who had had a doctor who put an implant into their body uh, if it had come from this list of processing companies, which we were able to to figure out and provide to the FDA, then they were required the pre, the, um, the the patient was required to go to their doctor to be tested for diseases. And yeah. um, there were some that, and they said they had to be tested for the rest of their life because it was not something that you get tested once and you're okay. You had to go back on a periodic basis for the rest of your life in order to to ensure that you did were not you did not contract uh, HIV or you did not contract hepatitis, etc. So, yeah. so um, it kind of seems like it kind of seems like that's if I'm drawing this in my mind correctly, it's like getting Al Capone for tax evasion. It's getting this body snatcher, but you're getting them for like forgeries and for uh, like sidestepping using the correct blood vials and stuff. Is that, well, that, is that right? Yes, correct. That's why we went for the OCA sure. because it carried a lot more in terms of potential penalty. So, um, and as it turned out, he got 56 years, um, yeah. Master Marino. He was sentenced to 56 years. And I won't tell you the end until we get to the end in terms of Master Marino, but um, but it, it, it's an ironic ending and, uh, and kind of uh, justice, quite frankly. Yeah. That guy definitely has a name of someone that you think would be a body snatcher. Master, <laughs> if he, he's a dentist hooked on Demerol and his name's Master Marino. I would, yeah, that just from the get go sounds like somebody's up who's up to some shady shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of his, um, one of the people that he taught how to do this was uh, was one was a mistress of his. I mean, he was married and had and had kids naturally, but he had a mistress who he was 
who we taught how to do this. I think she was in, I think Rochester, it was either Rochester or Philadelphia. I'm not sure. But, um, but we, we were, of course, we then notified the authorities in, in the other jurisdictions and they opened up their own investigations. And, um, and, and everyone who was touched by this, every family who was touched by this, uh, sued the Mastro Marino, you know, estate and others and, um, and all collected, all collected money. I'm not sure how much, of course, nothing could, could, yeah. um, you know, could, could really serve them, uh, to bring back their, you know, or to put them at peace, the money wasn't going to do that for them, you know? So, yeah. um, but they did, they were able to get it. So they, that was at least one, um, little good, one good thing in the, in the whole situation that happened, you know? Yeah. So, now, uh, did they have to take anybody? So like, um, exhuming the bodies, was there anyone that they took to use for evidence? Did they get anyone that got an implant? Got so let's say I got one. Is there, was there any examples of you guys going to someone and having it removed and looking at the DNA? We, we would have, but we never got that far because, first of all, we were able to make the case okay. using the cadavers. But if we had gone further, um, we would have been able to – we would have reached out for people who had, you know, had implants. Um, but it didn't uh, – it wasn't necessary for us. The case wound up – he wound up um, pleading guilty – as opposed to um, to going to a trial, um, we were able to get one of the cutters to become a witness for us. We turned him, and he got a he got a deal, not the greatest deal. He he got time, and he had to do time, but it was certainly less than fifty six years. And the other the other cutter um, went to trial. He put us to the test, and uh, and we convicted him, and um, he went to jail for a significant amount of time as well. Um, the interesting, you know, the thing about this that also struck me that I've done a lot of cases, I've done a lot of trials in my career. The interest by family members for this case was beyond anything I had ever seen. They were in court every single day. And I'm talking about, you know, more And it's not like one person showing up. It was, it was members of the family of almost every one of the victims that we chose to use uh in this in this case um used to show up and then they would have their family and it would be the courtroom would be packed you know with uh with victims families who were interested in seeing what occurred and on the date of sentence they were all permitted to make a statement you know to the judge and uh and nobody turned us down everybody wanted to say something um and uh and it was uh, it was Heartbreaking. I mean, heartbreaking. Thinking that their loved one had died and was at peace, and then knowing that uh, they had been ravaged, the body had been ravaged, um, was something that it was very difficult for each of them to to handle. Um, so it was uh, it was a case that I will never forget. When we when we locked up or announced the indictment of Master Marino and the two cutters, we had a press conference at the DA's office. <laughs> I have never seen a press conference like this. It was covered worldwide. Yeah. We had we had so many reporters that we had to use several rooms in order to hold the reporters, and um, and it was broadcast. Um, it was broadcast around the world. There were people from notifying our press office that they had seen it, you know, in in other countries. So it was um, it was a, a it was an unbelievable case. It really was an unbelievable case. So.
Now, for those people making those statements in court, did you is that something where you had to have maybe more security in court for people losing their cool and just wanting to rip Master Marino's face off? Well, the answer is yes. They had a lot of court officers who would surround okay. him, okay. and uh, and they weren't going to take any chances. Yeah, you know, one of the people that we. And, so, you know, we also I should mention this is that um, we were also able to identify the the funeral directors who had cut deals with Mastro Marino or tipping off, tipping him off yeah. to a death. And um, and they got they got in, locked up and charged um, as well. Um, so, you know, it was a uh, it was a wide ranging indictment in terms of people. Um, that we that were involved in this whole thing, but Master Marino was the centerpiece. He and the two cutters were the were the centerpiece. Yeah. So um, it was uh, it it it's a case I'll I'll never forget. Um, and I did mention I think I mentioned the last time we I appeared on at your podcast on your podcast is that when we began this investigation and we ultimately were able to get a search warrant for his home. We went into his garage and he had meat lockers. He had freezers in there that you would store, you know, like steaks and chickens and stuff. And he had body parts in there. So I, uh, my eyes were watering. I just, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was quite a, uh, quite a scene. It's, so, uh, but this is perfect proof right, right now. Like as disgusting as it is. And I, like, I, I physically just got nauseous yet. I am right now in real time. Like I am hooked on what, what happens next. And it's, so, but that's, that's so. What I am right now is just a microcosm of everyone. It's like you can't look away. Yeah. Well, that was um, that was that's <laughs> a lot of people couldn't. Yeah. A lot of people couldn't. People said it was disgusting, but everybody wanted to know more and more and more about it. Yeah. You know the um, the you know the idea. I, I got to tell you that the one impact, or the one lasting, I guess, um, image is of those x-rays of the leg with the pvc pipe and the bolt going through you know the the ankle to hold the foot together and and other you know other body parts that had the pvc pipe in it um those i i don't think that this guy would i think that a jury if we had tried this case a jury would have been out maybe five minutes before coming back with a um you know with a conviction it, it was that kind of case and it touched the nerves of everyone who was involved in the case and everyone who heard about the case. Um, it was a, um, you know, it was the kind of thing that, uh, you know, you don't, you, I, I've never seen anything like it and I've never seen anything since. Um, I've never seen anything before. I've never seen anything, you know, since. Um, there are people who, you know, who, who do this kind of stuff on a regular basis, but they don't do it in the way that Mastro Marino did it. You know, I mean, somebody has to harvest bone and tissue for implant, but yeah. you do it in a way that is going to be, uh, be you do it a legal a leg way. A you legitimate do business. Yeah. yeah. And you do it, you know, if someone is, is going to harvest bone, you harvest it from the unfortunate person who died maybe in their twenties or thirties or forties without these communicable diseases, because, um, you know, you can't put bone and tissue into someone's body that came out of someone who had, you know, HIV or hepatitis. I mean, it doesn't, um, it, the clean, the, the, the processing companies would not take a bone that came out of someone if they learned 
that it was that the person had died of HIV yeah. or had died of you know hepatitis or had died of some other you know horrible communicable disease. They would not do it. So that tells you all you need to know about uh, about what this guy was doing uh, wrong. So um, and and you know the Alice the Cook thing. I mean, he, uh, literally, he was ninety five years old. So I can't imagine getting his leg or leg bone femur or or tibia or whatever it is. And having it implanted into you know into my body when it has already spent 95 years on earth you know um yeah it's not something which is going to last very long but yeah. uh, so he they would lie they would just simply lie they would put his you know age down as you know 72 or 65 or whatever as opposed to you know 95. yeah but, well i mean i'm um I'm, I'm it's I can feel my own like blood pressure rising as I think about my oldest sibling who committed suicide in 2014 and who we had cremated perfectly healthy. He was 27 at the time. Right. That's prime real estate for Master Marino. And that's, oh, are you that's kidding? making me think it's and I've I've TM I've, I've I've seen his cremation. I know there are bones in it. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking now like. I've, you know, I'm 30, I got a podcast going, you know, it seems like everything's smooth sailing. And even in just like the last two minutes thinking about that, part of my brain is like, I would hunt this guy down and I would cut his, I would, I would live stream me killing him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> well, you know, the funeral directors can't be, uh, can't, can't escape without, um, a lot of scrutiny either when you yeah. think about it, because they, you know, they were doing this and, you know, they weren't getting paid a great deal of money. They would get paid like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks to, to tip off Master Marino that the body was coming into the, uh, into the funeral home and they would do it on a regular basis. So it was more of a volume thing than a, you know, a, uh, a, a, a lucrative, um, kind of thing. Every, if, if you got a body and, and it happened once every you know two years that you tip them off then you would charge a lot more money these guys were doing 50 bucks 100 bucks because they had volume people were dying and they were showing up at these funeral homes and and they would get tipped off and come and you know and ravage them so it was um they, yeah. it, was, it was easy money for the funeral director but uh, and they thought that they weren't going to get caught now let me go back to that room i want to tell you about yeah. the room so this secret room um, I, at some point, went to the funeral home. And the, what used to happen, and it was in ben, the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn, and what used to happen is the deal between the funeral director, who we locked up and who also had uh, something unfortunate happen to him. Again, you know, you talk about karma and, uh, and justice. After he had gotten locked up, he was, he was released on, I guess, he was on bail, and he was doing some work on the roof of his house. And um, and he, he claims that he slipped and fell and had major damage to his bones and, and things like that. Now, there was some conspiracy theorist at that time that thought that, um, you know, this guy somehow was pushed because he they thought he was going to talk and there were a lot more people involved in this whole thing. But be that as it may, it was his funeral home. He had sold it to the people who tipped us off to this. And uh, what what the way it worked is when a body would come in, it wouldn't, uh, there was a, a, a back area where the Mastro Marino bodies would drive in and they would go into this, this room, this kind of like, a not a garage, but a, a driveway 
and they would bring the body into a um, into a, a room on the first floor, um, and it would they would put it onto this device which had a hydraulic lift, and the lift they would put the body on it, and then it would lift it would go up into the floor of the second uh, the second st- uh, story sure. of the building into that room I was talking about and you couldn't see once the body was yeah. up there and they lowered the lift again they had it so that if you looked up into the ceiling of the first floor you wouldn't be able to see the any outline of a of a an opening it it was a secret opening that would allow them to bring these bodies that the deals were cut to up into the into the embalming area of the funeral home no one would see them and that room was used only by master marino's people and unless you knew it was there and you knew what the how it bodies got up into that room you would never be able to figure it out you'd wonder does how did they get up there how did it you know how did the body get up there how did it get into this room and this guy that owned the um, owned the funeral home had contracted to get this done. This done, and um, and that's how they got these bodies up there. They got them up into this secret room using this hydraulic lift, which then came down and disappeared into the floor of the of this garage area, driveway area, and you couldn't see it only if you knew it was there. And once you got somebody on it, they would then it would lift, go into the ceiling. Uh, or the ceiling of the first floor, floor of the second floor, and would would then disappear. When it came down, it would close, the door would close, and you couldn't see that it was there. And then they would take the body and do whatever they were going to do with it. So um, this, it was this sounds quite an like, operation. This sounds like something that like before the internet, before you could have a podcast with you with this experience, sharing your story to me, nodding here like an idiot – before the internet, this is something that you and your friends smoked pot in high school. And one of you says, dude, my uncle was in the rackets division and he said, and you go, that guy, you go, dude, he's pulling your leg. Or you're like, dude, you're too high. Like put down the joint. But that's, but it's almost like, it not one of like Goebbels, I think. It was like, make the lie big enough and hide it in plain sight that everyone will believe it. Yeah. I mean, if you, if someone came out and was like, I'm telling you. They're doing this. They're do- it's like, okay, already fantastic enough. But where are they doing it? I'm telling you there's a secret hydraulic lift that lifts, right? It's it's almost like if you make it so absurd, it hides itself. Exactly. You know, the, the, I'll tell you how, how underestimated the case was by people other than us. Yeah. When, when we first started the investigation and Master Marino's people got wind of it, and I get a call from his lawyer. And, um, and I'll never forget the conversation. He calls me and I knew him and he calls me and says, Mike, you, you're investigating my client. And, um, you know, I, of course I knew who he was and I said, well, who's your client? You know, one of those kind of deals. And he, and he told me, and I said, yeah, okay. What's, uh, what's your, what's the issue? You looking to plead guilty? He goes, he started to laugh. He said, do you think that any jury would ever convict my client? He said, this is nothing but a paper crime. So somebody had some papers, they filled out the death certificate wrong, they, they, you know, they filled out a document that they, that they made a mistake in putting down, you know, what the, what the cause of death was. And, and so they signed some permission slips. So what? Nobody is going to send my client to jail for some paper crime. His name was Frank. I said, Frank, I got to tell you something. You have no idea 
about how the interest and the and the family and how much the families want to hang your client. The families of these people, these uh, given the fact that they are, uh, we know that they're dead. Of course they're dead. But these people felt that their loved ones were resting in peace. And now they find out that your client took their legs apart, took their arms and cut their bones out and took and took their bones. I said, this is not something that is going to sit well with anyone. And I can tell you that if you go to trial with this, you'll get the full force of this, um, you know, their their anger on your client. And he, you know, he, he said, nah, 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 nah. Well, ultimately, he realized what we were, what he was up against. And he did, he did plead guilty, as I told you before. So, um it's just it was, um, it, he he just could not um, he could not believe it and uh, and and Master Marino um, was I have to say I think kind of, he was very arrogant in the beginning when he would come in and try to sell us on the idea that he wasn't doing anything wrong. Um, ultimately, when he pled guilty and had to do his allocution, which is to say what he had done. Um, he, he became somewhat contrite at that point. And, uh, I think he was trying to save his ass, quite frankly, you know, from jail time. I think he was trying to minimize the amount of jail time he was going to take. So, um, but, um, it turns out that, uh, you know, he got 54 years. So that's a, um, he, that's a lot of time. And he was going to come out. He was probably going to be in his nineties by the time he came out. So, um, Nobody had any sympathy for yeah. the fact that he got 54 years. Believe me, nobody. In fact, there were some family members who said it wasn't even enough. He should have gotten life, you know? Is, so. is how, so what was the, I'm, and I'm sorry if you, if you said it and I missed it. What was the total number of, of bodies that he did this with? We, we were, we had about 1100 that we, un, that we were able to um, uncover. There were more because there were other jurisdictions that, you know, we we alerted them to the fact that they had bodies there. But but I can only tell you about Brooklyn. We 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 uncovered about eleven hundred. We wound up just doing ten as part of the indictment because how many you know you can't have an indictment that's you know thousand charges. You know, it's just not not practical. So we concentrated on ten ten very very good cases exhumed the bodies and, um, and we had them. I mean, we had them locked. There's no question. And then once we got one of the cutters to turn and tell us the entire, the whole plan, the entire, you know, the, the way that everything worked, there was no, no escape for him at that point. Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of people walking around right now with implants that probably don't know and probably don't care to know. Well, they know now because they had this, um, they had this, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, you the know, recall. yeah, the recall and, uh, they have to go back to, um, you know, to their doctors for, uh, for periodic examination. So, um, very bad situation, really bad situation. I, there was one, I, I don't remember which TV show, there were several documentaries done about this case. And, and I remember one of them, there was a woman who talked about how sick she actually did get following the transplant, you know? Um, and, um, so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's it. That's essentially it. Um, I I can tell you 
um, what ultimately happened to to Mastro Marino. Yeah, you've been holding um, out. Tell me. So keep in mind that he was stealing bone for the most part, tissue, but mostly bone, right? And um, so I, I'm in my office one day, and I and someone walks in, and they said, "Have you heard?" I said, "What happened?" He said, uh, "Mastro Marino died in prison." I said, "What?" Because he was not he was not sick. He, at least he wasn't um, in outwardly sick. Well, he had bone cancer. And he, he, yeah. No, that's everybody's reaction. He died of bone cancer. So that's. It's. I mean, yeah. it's. I don't wish. So obviously, you can't wish. But I mean, at some point, you gotta just laugh at like the the humor that sometimes life dishes out. Yeah, life does do that. I got to tell you one other little story. Yeah, yeah, after, yeah. Um, after the case was over, as I said, they were bunch of tv shows that were looking to do documentaries on this and i get a call one day from a tv show and i, I don't think it's on anymore and it was something like like i married a monster or something of that nature and and um i found out what the show was about and, and it was exactly that it was about you know a family not knowing what kind of person they had as their husband and and father so he told me to come to a particular studio. I go to this studio in Manhattan. It was kind of a decrepit little studio. And, and it was in the back of a, of, kind of on the first floor, but in the back of the of the first floor lobby area. And it was, you know, nothing to speak of. And I walk back there and there's this Coke machine. I'll never forget this, a Coke machine, a couple of sofas and a, and a chair in this kind of really rundown area. The studio itself, was the next room over. This was kind of like the green room, they said. Okay. Right? So there was this uh, woman sitting in the, um, in the, uh, on the one of the sofas. And I walk in and, and I nodded. I say, hello. And, and she said, um, you're Mike Vecchion, right? I said, yeah. Like, Who are you? She said, I am Barbara Mastro. Oh, yeah. I'm Barbara Mastro Marino. I said, oh, my, to myself, oh, my God. Now I'm in this little area where I can't go anywhere with the wife of the guy that went to jail for 54 years and then died of bone cancer. You know what she said to me, uh, Tommy? She thanked me. She said, I want to thank you for what you did for my family. She said, because we had no idea that he was such a monster. Yeah. And, um, and, and my family uh, and I have had to live with this since – you know, it, it came out and she said, I changed my name. She said, my name is now Mastro as opposed to Mastro Marino. Um, she said the only person in her family that uh, did not um, feel that way and still kind of loved the husband, loved the father, etc. He was still alive at that time, now that I think about it. Um, because her son was in the studio being filmed about his story. And her son, she told me, would go visit him in jail and was never able to really accept the fact that his father was such a monster. Yeah. And um, so she said to me, she said, you know, if you don't mind when he's done, if you could just simply kind of, you know, sit over there and don't tell him who you are. Cause he, I didn't know the kid. I, I, he, she said, because he'll, he'll get very upset and probably very angry at you. So I did. And um, you know, I did what she said to me. She's what she asked me to do. And the kid came out and they left. And then I went in and, and did my thing. But um that was a that was a bizarre ending to a bizarre case. I have to tell you, you know, it was um, meeting the wife, and she she was she stuck by him in the beginning. Every time he was in court, she was there, and um, you know, and she um, 
and she didn't believe it for a long time. I mean, she just didn't accept it. And, um, and then finally she was, her eyes were open and she realized what, you know, what kind of a monster this guy was, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I can definitely see at first, like sticking with them be like, you know, this is, this isn't the person I love. So like, I'm going to help this person I love through this, these bullshit allegations. Right. It's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And she was, um, you know, she had lost her entire life was, uh, was, had gone down the tubes at that point. She lost their, they lost their house because the house had to be forfeited to, to pay, pay all the shit. Yeah. Pay off all of these, um, you know, these, these victims, families. And, um, you know, she, um, she suffered, a great deal as a result of, of this thing. And, and she had nothing to do with it. She didn't even know, first of all, she didn't know about the mistress. Okay. And she, no, yeah, she didn't, had no idea. I mean, that all came out during the course of the, you know, the, um, investigation and, and the preliminary trial, uh, preliminary, uh, proceedings and things like that. And she certainly didn't know what her husband was doing. I mean, she had no idea that he was, he was doing this stuff. She just knew that he had provided for her as a dental surgeon. Now she was provide. He was providing as God knows what he told her he was doing. You know, as far as this stuff is concerned, he probably said he gotten permission from all of the families to do this stuff. But uh, she had no. She really had no idea. And and clearly, she never went into that garage and opened up those. Uh, well, they were all locked. So um, those those meat lockers. Um, she had never gone in there to see. <laughs> To see that because she wasn't going to make uh, you know leg of uh, leg of person for uh, for dinner you know so it's, if if someone in your family ever starts putting industrial meat lockers in your house and locks them something's up I think that's a pretty fair rule right yeah although you know I have to say in her in her in her defense Tommy is that they didn't look like anything other than what you would have in your basement if you had you know you bought steaks and chicken and sure. and and you know and, and burgers and stuff and kept them in a freezer you they didn't look any different than that they were sure. you know those white freezers yeah, yeah, that yeah. Uh, low white freezers yeah, and yeah. Pull the top, the top comes up yeah yeah so how many um, did he have? I don't remember. That's he had several, but I don't remember. I just don't recall. That's where so. it gets a little hairy. Is it, uh, yeah, I know what they are. Yeah, we have one at our lake house. You go hunting. Yeah. Sure, you got to put your shit in there. Yeah, and, you know, so if you were, of... you know, if you walked in and she saw them, I don't think that she had access to the area that, you know, that we ultimately found these things in. But um, but she claimed she knew nothing about what was going on. And, and quite frankly, she had no reason to lie to me at the end yeah. as far as yeah. you know, and this stuff is concerned. So, um but justice was ultimately done and um, was it didn't take very long for it to get done either. He was in a jail only a few years before he died. So um, so he must have had bone cancer before he went in. Which, yeah, again, which is just the most ironic thing ever. It's... But could you, could you also imagine, I always think about this a lot, can you imagine being that, I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone through dental surgery, but I, I just did about five months ago. And I was thinking as it was going on that if the surgeon was was high on Demerol or some and he just fell asleep with this, you know, with this knife in his hand or whatever it is, the scalpel or something, and he falls asleep right now. You know, God knows. I don't know what's going to happen to me or happen to my mouth. Well, this is what happened to this this poor, unfortunate guy that was under dental. It was being uh, you know, was being worked on by Mastro Marino when he ultimately fell asleep. I mean, that's, <coughs> that's, that's quite a, um, 
must have been quite a scene in his office. Those are almost like the things that you just kind of don't want. I know for me, at least, right? If we hear about like like orthopedic surgeons or pediatric surgeons that get fired because they're just like half in the bag during a surgery or like an airline yeah. pilot, I almost feel like you don't want to know. You don't? Oh, no, you don't. Yeah, just, <laughs> just, just fly. I don't care. Are we going back yeah. and forth? Maybe he's drunk. Maybe it's turbulence. I'll just believe it's turbulence. But it's hard not to know if the guy falls asleep right in the middle of the surgery, right? Yeah, so, yeah that's true. So that's a um, that was a tip off that something was wrong. So, um, and you could see why the authorities would revoke his license as a result of something like that. Yeah, I mean, it was no, uh, it was a no brainer. And um, you know, so, and he had been on, he had been addicted for a while, from what we were, what we learned, you know, and. Um, People started talking, you know, people saying, you know, yeah, I wondered what was going on. He did have, you know, there were some issues. There were this, that, and the other thing. You know? So, but it was a, as I said um, to you before, it was a, a case that um, is, is, will be with me forever. I, I don't think I'll ever forget um, yeah. the details yeah. of the case. It, it was, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. And, um, and I remember, um, I remember when I ra- arraigned him in the in the courthouse. It was the day that we announced the indictment and brought him over to see a judge. The courtroom, of course, was packed, packed with um, reporters and everyone else. And I remember just using the term that this was medical terrorism, and um, and it was, you know, it was the the phrase that was in then every newspaper the next day, every newspaper story, you know, and it was. Um, but to me, that's what it was. I mean, yeah. just think about it. it. Just think of the of what it caused to um, in the in the the minds of all of the people who had implants from these companies. That uh, it, it was something which you know they will probably never forget, and hopefully will not suffer any kind of uh, you know disease or damage from it. So um, yeah, medical and- terrorism. That's. The only medical way, terrorism is what I called it. Yeah. The only yeah. way it could get sexier yeah. is if is if he was using the money from that to fund a politician, because then it would actually be violence for political gain. <laughs> then it would be. Then it would be yeah. just. It would well, have who knows? Who knows what he did with the money? I know that some of it went to his lifestyle. That's for sure. And some of it went to his his mistress, and uh, and some of it, you know, went to his big cars and uh, and his. And his beautiful house in in Fort Lee, New Jersey. But um, you know, who knows? He might have he might very well have been contributing to to political campaigns. I, I don't know. You Jesus, know, so. yeah, it's almost like it's almost was it Bormon or I don't remember who Goring. They would have used to, they'd have their own gold gold teeth made out of the gold out teeth the, pulled from dead Jews. Yeah, from the unfort from this, the the victims of the Holocaust. I know, yeah, I know. That, that's. So, a bad situation, but um, but it's uh, so I encourage your listeners and and viewers to get the book and 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 read the details of the story. It'll it'll be um, kind of it'll be hair raising, literally. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the kind of thing that if someone if I if if you know if someone told me the story, I would my initial reaction would be, now you're making it up. Exactly right. That it's never, bullshit. That never happened. You yeah. know, it's um, it's a, a good fiction writers um scenario that um looking to scare yeah air people you know um and if it turned out to be a a script on the you know the walking dead or something i i i would 
say, you know, they, that's a great writer, man. The guy's got a great imagination. That's not something that would ever happen in real life. Sure enough. Yeah. Sure yeah. enough. It did. Yeah. You know? That would so, be like a, that would be a three part CSI episode, right? Yeah. With yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. You know, top, topped off with the, um, with the idea that at the end, you know, they have on a movie or a TV show where they have, yeah. So and so lived until he was so. It would be on such and such a date. Master Marino died right. of bone dot, 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 bone cancer. Bone, so, bone cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all comes around. Yeah. So for anyone listening, I mean, I've, I've obviously had you on. And we talked about the book last time, Crooked Brooklyn. Even if you just get it, just to listen to the body snatchers. I mean, it is. It is. It's one of those things you can't turn away from. So shit, even if you just get it to listen to that part, get the book Crooked Brooklyn. It'll be in the Thank description you. and the, the link in the top link. I'm I'm having a stroke. It'll be in the sticky top comment as well as in the description. And um, you're not. I know you say you're not going to be finished with the other book. It won't be ready till next year. But yeah, it'll be. Um, we're, we're turning it in um, in January. Um, and then there's got to, you know, you got to go through the edit process yeah. with each of the publisher company and with the, with the audio company. And, um, I, I'm where we don't even have a, a, at this point, we don't even have a, a, an indication as to when the publication, you know, the publication date, but I'm thinking maybe they'll have it ready by summertime. You know, yeah. that's, yeah. that's what I'm thinking. So but friends of the family, friends of the family is out and it's on Kindle, but friends it's of not the family audible. is out. Yeah. But not audible. friends of the family is out behind the murder curtain is out. And, um, and uh, and certainly Crooked Brooklyn is out. So. Well, I've had I've had you on for Crooked Brooklyn. I've had Bruce Sackman on for Behind the Murder Curtain, but I have not done Friends of the Family yet. So I'm going to email or text you after this, and let's set up a Friends of the Family episode. I'll be happy to. Um, I'll be happy to do it. Fuck happy yeah. to do it with you. So Fuck yeah. thank you, Tom. Absolutely. Thank it. you. Excuse me. Thank you, Michael Vecchione, author of Crooked Brooklyn. It'll be in the top comment and in the description. And we want one minute over, 3.16 p.m. Eastern time. You have a wonderful Thanksgiving, sir. Stay safe. Thank you, Tom. You too, um, and to you and your family. um, Thank you, Hopefully it'll be a happy one and a safe one. It will be a safe one and a happy one. I won't let anyone take that away from me. God bless everybody. Text me, and and we'll set up up a friends and family. um, Absolutely. Friends at a family date. I will, okay? text, I will text you in the next two minutes. Terrific. Okay, All right, Tom. All right, my man. Take care. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye.